Hey everyone, welcome to the Riverview Church Podcast. We hope that you're encouraged and inspired by today's message. We'd love for you to join us more frequently. So before we get started, why don't you take a moment to subscribe to our podcast? Here's today's message from Zach Gagler. Very warm welcome to our online family. So nice to have you guys with us tonight. We are in our second week of our ISM series, tackling cultural giants. I wonder what ism we're going to tackle tonight. Tim did a stellar job last week on skepticism, and um, maybe you might be a little skeptical tonight about our topic. <laughs> cool. All right. Anyway, let's check out the wheel. Um, where's the wheel? Let's pull up the wheel and let's have a look at what our. Oh, there's no wheel. Do we have a wheel? Oh, there's the wheel. Awesome. Well, hopefully, I'm not talking on hipsterism. Uh, we've got alcoholism, we've got otherism, we've got capitalism, we've got cannibalism tonight. We'll see what happens. I'm Josh Greaves. Come on up. He's my button guy. And uh, can you please uh, get ready to save my button? Take a knee, maybe, for the second time this week. Oh, Josh Greaves. If you didn't know, Josh Greaves is engaged. He got engaged this week to the love of his life. Alicia, how did it go? Went well? Ah, yeah, you could say it went well. <laughs> it's a novel. Let's just say that. She said yes. So she said yes, that's the main thing. That's what matters. All right, awesome. Well, you're going to propose to me tonight with the button. Um, that'd be great. All right, you ready? Three, two, one, boop. Let's see what we got. Oh no. Ding, 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 ding. Thank you, Josh Greaves. You're gonna be talking next week on hipsterism. Definitely the most hip person in the house. So tonight we're gonna talk about materialism. Everybody say materialism. Materialism, yep, it's, um, it's a heavy subject, and uh, I'm going to be talking today really about the heart of the matter. Um, there's so much helpful advice that you can get out there, but today I really want to drive into, I think, the heart of what God might want to say to us tonight. So, you know, I used to be um, quite fit, and um, I used to cycle and swim, but over the last couple of years with the kids, I've really suffered a case of the dad bod. Anybody else got a bit of dad bod? going on, or maybe mum bod. Um, you know, I've been seeing a personal trainer. I signed up to the gym because I thought, I've got to get serious about this. I want to build my capacity. I want to feel better. I want to be able to handle more. And um, so I'm one of those all-in kind of people. Like if I decide to do something, I am 100% in. Anyone else like that? And so I went out and I purchased like cables. I purchased dumbbells. I got um, um, kettlebells. I got a yoga mat. I don't even do yoga, but I got a mat. And um, I went out and I purchased a whole heap of new sweatshirts and stuff like that. Um, I went and I bought seven sweatshirts, one per day for working out, you know, trying to challenge myself. But when I got home, I realized I already have five sweatshirts. So now I have 12 workout gear and I don't really know why I need 12. In fact, I've got so much that I can't fit them in the drawer, like my workout drawer. It's like it gets jammed and Claire keeps telling me, you've got to put this stuff elsewhere. So I've resorted to putting like a sweatshirt in a duffel bag underneath my bed. I put a sweatshirt in another cupboard in a whole nother room. And I've ended up even having to put a sweatshirt up above our cupboard. I need a ladder to get up there to get that sweatshirt. Definitely it's not going to be used. Um, and so I have so many sweatshirts, you get the idea? And I guess I kind of realized, well, why do I need so many? Like I'm only going to work out three times a week. And particularly when you can work out in the same outfit three times, like why do I need so? <laughs> yeah, some of you old gym as well, you know, you don't do that. Don't do that, just to be clear. 
So, silly story, but like, when is enough enough? When is enough enough? Like, come on, I, I feel like you're judging me right now. I'm not the only one. Some of you have more underwear than a Bonds factory. Like, you'd be fine in lockdown. You're good for at least two weeks full of underwear. Some of you have more shoes than a cobbler with more miles on them than your car. I once heard someone say to me that, uh, you know, never criticize someone till you've walked a mile in their shoes. That way, when you criticize them, you'll be a mile away and have their shoes. <laughs> Brilliant wisdom for your life. So why, why, why do we constantly want more? What is it in our culture and in our humanity that just has a desire for like more stuff? We just need to get more. Like the new iPhone comes out and we just go bananas for it. We're like, yep, the God of Apple has released a new thing. I need it. And uh, we're willing to trade in, break our contract, pay a couple of hundred bucks. It doesn't matter because I got the new phone. You know, our car starts to get a little bit old, maybe 50,000 kilometers on it. And we go, we need a new car. It's time for an upgrade. Or maybe our shoes, I'm talking to the young people right now, our shoes get a little dirty and we can't clean them with that stuff that you clean them with and we go, you know what, I just need a new pair of shoes. What is it in our humanity that just wants more and we go after more? And when we try and cut down, we do things like a social media fast. It's kind of like a little bit of a cheap imitation of the real thing, right? Like one is suffering, your body is suffering, reminding yourself that God is your source. The other is just like suffering for Jesus by not tapping on a screen. So this is the cultural invasive giant of materialism. Materialism blends the line or blurs the line between our wants and our needs. We can't tell the difference anymore. And I feel like in our culture today, it's like everything that we want is what we think that we need. Everything we want, we convince ourselves, I need that. But the reality is I think what we truly need, people don't even want. From a spiritual perspective, I think we truly only need God, but the Bible says we've rejected Him in a desire for more personal comfort and more security. So materialism, according to the, def the definition from the dictionary, is this, a tendency to consider material possessions and physical comfort as more important than spiritual values. I'll read that again. So materialism is defined as a tendency to consider material possessions and physical comfort as more important than spiritual values. In other words, materialism suggests that my stuff and my security is of greater value than my Savior. And this is why it's such an important giant to address, I think, in our conversation of faith. Because if our stuff and our security has taken the place of our Savior, there's something wrong. There's an issue of priority and trust. And you know, I think it's quite difficult for us in the church because often we've built a theology that, it, that suggests that faith in Jesus means He'll bless us. And when he blesses us, that means that we'll get more things, more stuff, more security, more a better job, a better this, a better that. But what if God's blessing and his best for our lives didn't mean more, but it meant just enough? Jesus says this in Luke's gospel. He says, take care, be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So I think the word of God to us tonight is that 
Jesus doesn't call us to a life of moreness. He calls us to a life of fullness. You know, fullness doesn't mean nothingness. It just means living with simplicity and trusting God to supply our every need. Jesus spoke regularly of the things that make us feel happy and the things that make us feel secure, things like food and drink and clothing and shelter. But he told us pretty clearly not to make these our life's goal. He said instead to seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom and all our needs would automatically be supplied. So the question for each of us is, are you seeking first the kingdom or are you seeking first the daily needs? Are you seeking first what we need to get through today or are you seeking first the kingdom? See, I think COVID has really thrown a curveball and really highlighted this challenge. When COVID hit, did you go to your bank balance or did you go to your Father in heaven? Oh. See, I don't think the Lord actually has an issue with our material goods. It's the material gods that are the problem. It's when we've replaced the place that Jesus holds within our heart with other things, our stuff and our security. Listen to what Billy Graham said. He cuts straight to the core. He says, materialism has become the God of too many of us. It is a state in which material possessions are elevated to the central place in life and receive the attention due to God alone. The Bible teaches that preoccupation with material possessions is an idolatry. It poisons every other phase of our life, including our family life. We are reaping what we have sown for several generations. Boom, mic drop. Man, that's a hard word, hey? And uh, you know, all week I have been challenged by this message that I've prepared. And uh, tonight I, get, I know I'm challenging you, but I think each of us needs to grapple with this reality of materialism in our today's culture. But the truth is, as I've searched the scriptures, it's not just an issue of today. It's an issue of our humanity. And uh, Jesus has quite a lot to say about materialism, particularly in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, today, I'm not going to talk from the Sermon on the Mount, but reference some of the principles that he outlines in that, and talk from a, a little chapter that is a random chapter in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 12, where he talks with the Pharisees. It says this, Then some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign. None will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise in judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom." And now something greater than Solomon is here. So in this passage, Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees for their need for certainty, their need for security, which comes through a sign, proof that he is the living God. He's rebuking their need for that certainty. And he's comparing himself to the greatness of Jonah. He's comparing himself to the greatness of Solomon. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time looking at what Jesus means in comparison to Jonah and Solomon, specifically Solomon's life. Now, I think Solomon is helpful for us, and this word from Jesus is helpful because Solomon's a little bit like us, or at least what we would aspire to be like. You know, the Bible tells many stories of Solomon's wisdom, his wealth, his power, his greatness. He was kind of like N.T. Wright, Drake, 
Anna Wintour, Roger Federer, Elon Musk, all like blended into one person. He was wise, he was cool, he was stylish, he had fresh drip. <laughs> I'm so old, yeah. He was creative, he was, he was so famous. Like everyone came from all over the earth to see him and witness his greatness. He had everything he could ever need, but at the end of his life, Solomon wrote that it was all vain. It was all meaningless. He says it was like chasing the wind. It was like a smoke screen, something that wasn't real. So Solomon pursued three things that I think are at the heart of materialism. And he became great in these three things. Firstly, he became great in knowledge, great in knowledge. He was the wisest man to ever walk the earth. But this knowledge didn't come through striving or hard work. It was actually a gift of God. God said to him, Solomon, you love me just like your father David did. So I'm gonna give you whatever you ask for. How many of you would like God to say that to you? Like, Tim, I'm gonna give you whatever you ask for. That sounds pretty sweet. You know, Solomon answers with great humility and I wonder if that's why God gave him what he asked for. Maybe it was a trick question, we'll never know. But Solomon says, Lord, give me an understanding heart so I can serve your purposes here on earth. It wasn't for self-gain, but God was so pleased with Solomon's response. He said, Solomon, you've answered so well. I'm gonna give you everything that you didn't ask for as well. I'm gonna give you wealth. I'm gonna give you power. I'm gonna give you everything that you could possibly ever need. You'll be the richest, the most known person on earth. But more importantly, you'll have more knowledge than anyone who came before you and anyone who'll come after you. The Bible tells us that people came from all over the earth to witness Solomon's knowledge. When was the last time someone came around to your house to marvel at your knowledge? <laughs> For me, I don't think that's ever happened. So Solomon had more understanding, more knowledge than anyone on earth. But at the end of his life, he wrote this in Ecclesiastes. He said, I said to myself, look, I'm wiser than any of the kings who ruled in Jerusalem before me. I have greater wisdom and knowledge than any of them. So I set out to learn everything from wisdom to madness and folly. But I learned that firsthand and that pursuing all of this is like chasing the wind. Greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. Wow. So Solomon suggesting that we just stay dumb, like we don't even try and pursue knowledge, we just bury our head in the sand. No, that's not what he's saying. Solomon is simply showing that the accumulation and the pursuit of knowledge will not mean fullness of life. Moreness doesn't mean fullness. Even the Apostle Paul realized this, writing in 1 Corinthians. He says, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know that it is the very power of God. As the Scriptures say, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave the philosophers, the scholars, and the world's brilliant debaters? For God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. So the pursuit of knowledge and understanding didn't satisfy Solomon, and neither will it satisfy us. Secondly, Solomon also pursued wealth and pleasure. He was great in wealth and pleasure. He had it all, everything he could ever want. He was the richest man on earth. The Bible tells us in Chronicles that he had an annual salary of 25 tons of gold. Now, I calculated that in today's gold price for all of you, and that is an average income per year of $1,600,000,000 a year. That's a fair bit of money. I'd retire after one month. 
happy days. But you know, in addition to this income, the Bible tells us that he didn't just have great wealth, but he also had great pleasure. He had the finest swimming pool in all of the world. He had the finest of wines that money could buy. He had gifts given to him from all over the earth. And he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. I mean, talk about sex. That's more than any of you are ever gonna have in your life. <laughs> it's okay, we can laugh in church, it's all good. <laughs> Some of you are like nervous laugh, like do I laugh? Definitely don't nudge your spouse, like if, it, yeah, anyway. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes 2, he said, anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all of my labors. But as I looked out at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. Like chasing the wind, there was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. I wonder if you've ever had that kind of experience like Solomon. You know, you went and you bought that thing you went after that experience, but you ended up walking away feeling just kind of empty. Feeling empty, maybe you, know, you, you drunk that wine and you drunk too much of it. Maybe you took that drug, maybe you slept with that person, maybe you went after that experience, but at the end you just felt empty and hollow. You know, I think there's more for us. And it's no wonder that so many of us are Smiling on the outside, appearing to have joy, but fading away inwardly. You know, statistics say that suicide is one of the biggest killers of our nation. And I think there's more to life than seeking after possessions and pleasure. Jesus said in Mark 8, he said, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Perhaps we can learn from Solomon's life that possessions and pleasure isn't God's antidote to our inner suffering. It's a place that only God can heal, yeah? It's a gap in our heart that only Jesus can satisfy, amen? Lastly, Solomon pursued power. He was great in power. The Bible describes Solomon's power as something else. He had the world's greatest army. He had 12,000 horses. He had the largest house for him and a house for each of his family. When I read that passage in the Scriptures, I kind of think of like Oprah, like, you get a house, you get a house, you get a house. He's just like dispensing houses out there. He had the most beautiful garden on earth. He had the world's largest orchestra, the most impressive collection of art, his own ballet company, and people would come from all over the world to come and witness his power. Solomon could ask for anything he wanted and he would get it. But at the end of his life, he said it was just like chasing the wind. So he had it all, but he found that a life of materialism couldn't satisfy or last. His great wisdom that once represented a gift of God became an instrument for self-service and self-exaltation. You know, and friends, this is the danger of materialism for each of us. It's not the material goods that are the problem. It's the material gods that hold our attention that only the Lord should. You know, I feel like today for me personally, I have like a great deal of repentance to do before the Lord in this regard. Because when I think about my life, the reality is my possessions, pleasure, the knowledge, the power, all of it tends to dictate or at best moderate my sense of contentment and joy. It moderates my sense of peace 
you know, the stuff that I have, the security I have. If my house was taken away tomorrow, how would I react? What would happen in my heart? Am I seeking first my daily needs or am I seeking first the kingdom? I think we all know this to be true, that it's not through those things that will be fulfilled. So why do we do it? Why do we seek comfort and security in those things? Well, I think it's, it's quite simple, fear. It's a fear of missing out. It's a fear of not having enough. It's a need for certainty. And these are all natural reasons, but I think what happens when we live that way is we take faith into our own hands and we neglect the fact that someone truly greater than Solomon is here and his name is Jesus. <laughs> you know, this message is super simple today. I, there's so much practical help that you can get. But today, I just wanted to point you towards Jesus because I truly believe that in Jesus is every answer that we need. Jesus is the hope of the world and Jesus is the hope for each of us. I wanna point you to my Jesus who is greater, who is able, who is the source of every good thing that we need. So the word of the Lord today to each of us is don't look for him in wisdom, which offers you maybe assurance. Don't look for him in wealth, which offers you maybe contentment. Don't look for him in power, which gives you a sense of security. Because man's life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions, amen? But in the fullness found in Christ Jesus. Christ is greater. Christ is greater in knowledge. The Bible tells us that Colossians 2 verse 3 says that in Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, it's quite clear that none of you can get by by blowing your own horn before God. No, everything that we have, right thinking, right living, a clean slate and a fresh start comes from God by way of Christ Jesus, amen? Christ is greater in knowledge and in wisdom. Secondly, Christ is greater in wealth and pleasure. Jesus told us, don't bother storing up heaven here on earth. It's just gonna rot and fade away. Serve me, work for my kingdom and you'll store up treasure in heaven, amen? Paul tells us in Corinthians that Jesus became poor for our sake. And in that moment on the cross, we became infinitely rich because we'd received not stuff, but Him, Christ Jesus Himself. See, Jesus is the Prince of Peace and the fullness of our joy. He provides strength for each day. You know, the psalmist says, I have more joy in my heart than they'll ever get in their shopping sprees <laughs> because He, God, has put my life back together. That's the kind of pleasure I want in my life. Thirdly, Christ is greater in power. You know, just before Jesus ascended to the throne, He said, all authority on heaven and earth is given to me. Not some authority, not a bit of authority, not all authority is given in Christ Jesus. He is greater in power. See, all power on earth and in heaven and below the earth is found in Christ. Paul reminds us of this in Ephesians 1. Listen to it. I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated Him in the place of honour at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. For He is far above any ruler any authority or power or leader or anything else, not in this world, but also in the world to come. Can you say amen? Jesus is greater. You know, the power of this world won't last, but God's power lasts forever. Band, you guys can join me. You know, I feel like in this season, so many of us have been looking 
to rulers and authorities, to governments, to leaders, to keep us safe. And while that's all well and good, I think God wants to remind us today that our stuff and our security shouldn't be found in those things, but it should be found in Jesus alone. See, God doesn't call us to a life of mourness. He calls us to a life of fullness. And in Jesus, we find fullness of wisdom, fullness of joy, fullness of wealth and pleasure and power. Come on, he who is greater in me is greater than he who is in the world. You have the very living presence of God inside you. In the passage we began with today, Jesus is talking to us and reminding us that someone greater, he himself, is here, someone greater than Solomon, someone who's bringing a greater message than Jonah, a message of grace and forgiveness, someone who's bringing greater wisdom and power and wealth than that of Solomon. But Jesus says this really interesting phrase in the first verse. And to be honest with you, it's a phrase I tend to gloss over because I find it quite challenging. He says to the Pharisees, you wicked and adulterous generation. You know, like I find that hard because I firstly didn't quite know what he's talking about, but also it shines the spotlight on the state of our heart. And he's saying to the Pharisees, he's saying, hey, he's not saying you're all out committing adultery. How dare all of you sleep with all of these people? He's saying, hey, you committed to me. You said you were following me. You gave your heart to me but instead you're off having a fling. You're cheating with me on stuff. You're cheating with me on your need for certainty and security. You're cheating with me on the things that you said that you would renounce and call me as Heavenly Father. And I think to each of us, the Lord is challenging each of us tonight and shining the spotlight on our heart. He's speaking to the Pharisee in each of us, saying, hey, you said you were following me. You said that you were gonna seek first my kingdom. You said that you were putting me first, but instead here you are seeking first your daily needs. You're cheating with me on your bank balance and your superannuation and your need for security. See, it's not the material goods that are the issue. It's the material gods that grip our heart and just won't let us go. Jesus once said, echoing His phrase of seeking first the kingdom, He said, you can't serve two masters. You can either serve God or you can serve money. You can't serve both. And so today, question to you is, are you seeking first the kingdom or seeking first your daily needs? Have your material goods turned into material gods in your life and if they were taken away tomorrow, you would have a big visceral reaction. Maybe that's a sign of what's going on inside your heart. Has your stuff and your need for security taken the place of your Savior? Today, God is saying to each of us, don't enthrone your stuff and your security. Enthrone your Savior, Christ Jesus. He's the only one in which we can find fullness. Put your trust in me, He's saying to us. Seek me and I'll supply every need that you have. So are you seeking first the kingdom or are you seeking first your daily needs? 
If you were encouraged by today's message, we'd love to stay connected. And the best way to do that is to subscribe to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you're using. To experience other messages, videos, live gatherings, or find out how you can belong at Riverview, visit us online at riverviewchurch.com. 